0: Welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Kyle Crane.
1: And today we have Minute number 46, which begins with our intrepid Marines carefully entering a corridor and ends with Ripley telling a very haggard-looking newt that it's okay.
0: And yes, folks, that's Kyle Crane from Pele Media, the home of Ghostbusters Minute and Jurassic Park Minute, one of which I was actually on, Ghostbusters Minute. I don't know what, what – Kyle, what happened with Jurassic Park? I didn't get to come on Jurassic Park. What happened?
1: You know, we knew you were taking a break from Alien uh, and, and Movies by Minute podcasting at that point. So we were like, you know, let's not John, uh, let's not bother John with our tight schedule here. So, uh, you know, the next time we do uh, Ghostbusters 2-minute or something, maybe we'll have you back on for that. But
0: Oh, I could definitely do that. You know, all <laughs> I would have talked about on Jurassic Park really is uh, why I think it's still the superior CGI film of all time and oh, yeah. how I got – how the day I saw it I got dumped uh, by my one of my high school girlfriends. Aww. So that would have been that's my only memory of that day is oh, I just got dumped I better go see a movie. Oh my god, this is ama- amazing CGI that, that I've never <laughs> seen before. So that's pretty much all I would have talked about probably anyway. So it's probably best you didn't have me on. Um and as a guest this week we have Genevieve Koski from the Next Picture Show podcast. How are you doing today, Genevieve?
2: I'm great. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's uh Wonderful to have another member of the Next Picture Show on your your friend and, and cohort Tasha Robinson has been on a couple of times before. Always a great guest. So
2: I know she set quite an example for me to live up to. I'm nervous.
0: Okay. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll just yeah, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see if you can live up to it. I'm sure you can. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So well, here we are. Minute forty six. We're kind of mid action here with our Marines and our wonderful ingenious motion tracker, which is just never, we can, I'll never get tired of talking about how brilliant of a, of a suspense engine this thing is for a good, nice, simple action, sci-fi adventure movie. You can't do any better. It was very innovative, but they're coming in, you know, they're, they're coming into a corridor right now. Something's on their tracker and the tempo is rising as they get closer, sort of like a, sort of like a Geiger counter getting closer to radiation. But I, I love this. I, I, the, t- the suspense of this i can remember this moment from the first time i saw this movie at home on vhs and how it was like as that was beating was happening as the heart rate sort of uh was increasing how suspenseful this was
1: yeah it's it's such a brilliant device and you really when you hear it you know why this movie won an academy award for sound design you know it's like that little the ticking like there's two sounds going on with the motion tracker we have the you know the the kind of like thud almost of like a heartbeat and then the high-pitched chime of when something's getting closer and as newt gets closer to them that you know the pace of that picks up but the little like the the, 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 like that almost replaces the heartbeat that we hear in alien and aliens and pretty much all the alien films that is kind of used to to ramp up the tension so it's uh it's beautiful and it's physical design it looks like something that's uh, you know a military device it also harkens back to the device that ash made in alien but like you're saying it's such an ingenious little device to kind of like you know there's no there's no score going through this point and it almost replaces the music really
2: yeah, I'm glad you, you mentioned the sound of it, especially because the, the syncopation of those two different sounds, the kind of the click and the beep, it really kind of adds to the feeling of unease. You know, it's not just a heartbeat. There's like that second, you know, tempo going with it that makes you feel a little more on edge than if it was just like that kind of Doppler sound.
0: Yeah, the the merger here of the kinetic and the visceral kind of feeling of the heartbeat that you have. And then the image, it's not exactly like Mickey Mousing or anything, but the way they're stalking sort of in rhythm to it down the corridor as well, just helps you kind of go along with it. It's a combination of all these things that just draw you into the scene and make you feel like you're there with them again. And it's perfect for building up to something you were going to get later in the minute, which would be the false scare or the, you know, the jump scare that we're going to get when uh, Newt jumps out. That's a little ahead of ourselves, but just to, the idea of ramping up to that is so important. It's not those jump scares. Sometimes you'll watch a poorly made horror film and they'll try to throw a jump scare at you and you might like jolt a little bit, but you'll also feel like you got duped. That's the feeling you'll have after probably You're like, oh man, you know, come on, really? And then if it's built up to appropriately, I feel like you're okay with it. You're forgiving of the little con job they just pulled on you, you know? Yeah. And in this case, of course, there's more to it than just a jump scare, but we'll get to that later.
2: Well, we're also primed for it because like just like a minute or so before this, there's the jump scare with the face hugger, you know, slamming against the glass for for Burke's uh, or or slamming against the glass at at Burke. So like you've already kind of had one of those like benign jump scare moments and you're you're not exactly waiting for another one. So there's a little bit of, you know, um, diversion in that case.
0: I think it's uh, notable, too. We talked about it a little bit before, but it's notable how well Burke takes that jump scare compared to what you would think. He doesn't really jump that much. He seems to be a, I don't think he seems to be expecting it exactly. It's just, I think there's a little bit of a, they're birds of a feather kind of thing going on there where (laughs) he is uh, not so shocked by monstrous behavior. Let's just say
2: it's a moment of recognition there.
0: Right. Game recognizes game. Yeah. We also talked about how, anything those facehuggers were going to do is just like cha-ching in his mind, right? That He had dollar signs in his eyes when he saw that thing in the first place. So man, wow. It also has a proboscis that comes out of it. That's just going to be more value, right? So he's just happy to see that.
2: But I think like, like I was saying, like specifically because we just saw the facehugger and because we've seen alien like and like, we know that there are these stages to these creatures, you know, we just saw the facehugger, so again, we're kind of primed to see a full-grown alien in this moment. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just think the, the build-up, as you were saying, the build-up to the new reveal is, is so smart, not just in this minute, but in the couple minutes leading up to
1: yeah, 46 minutes in as an audience member, you're like, OK, this is it. This is, you know, the guns are right. drawn and everything. This is where we're finally going to see the alien. It's like, no, you've still got like another 10 minutes. And when you finally see that alien, it's more of a a piece of the set coming alive than anything else. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's still just that, you know, ramp up, pullback, ramp up, pullback for so long.
0: Yeah. And, and you got to have that. I mean, this is not this would not have been the spot for this. I mean, obviously, narratively speaking, this is time to introduce a character mm-hmm. that we that we're going to have for the rest of the movie. But we also have to have some some pullback still. I think right now would be like, wow, are they engaging already? this is it wouldn't have felt right at all. so it's a brilliant place to put this moment as opposed to having that jumps or having that real moment of of engagement. But there's also that seed of information that we all had in our minds or most people you had to assume the audience member would have in their mind about the life cycle of the alien. So you know in alien we see it go from, from its very lowest form and and kind of get the life cycle until it's full grown, a full grown killer. And in this case, clearly it's already been through that life cycle or at least one of them or many of them have been right. So we are, like you said, Kyle, we're already ready for a full grown alien to jump out. You know, this isn't going to be an eggs and face hugger situation Mm -hmm. anymore. So when we get Newt shoot across the screen, you know, in the foreground shadowy, um, Barely recognizable. That's certainly what you're thinking. You're going to see. So, uh, yeah, the, the, that idea really plays well here.
2: Yeah, and that shot of of Newt in the foreground is just so well framed. And I, I don't, I can't tell if it's Carrie Hen or a stunt person or, or what, but just the way that it's framed is just, and the way that the figure moves is just perfectly calculated to make you think, just for an instant, that it is that full grown alien. You know, it kind of has that almost spindly look as it charges across the frame.
1: And not only that, it's kind of accented with the gunfire from the smart rifle uh, or smart gun going off. So we kind of like get her. There's a musical beat uh, of strings there from James Horner. And then we also have the sound of the, you know, from the machine gun, which is this the first time we actually hear a gun in the movie? Mm, that's a good question. I think so. Yeah. Cause... Yeah. So the yeah. the gunfire from this, and again, the sound design, why they won the Academy Award for it is so iconic in this movie that it's like there's I, I don't know that I'd ever heard a gun uh, like those guns in in any film before this. And it was like one of the things after I saw this film for the first time when I was a kid that stuck out to me was that sound design of the rifle going off. So it's kind of like uh, almost an alien gun sound too at this point. So there's like, you know the shadow, her moving across the screen, the musical beat, and the gun all at the same time. So it's uh, it, a perfect accent to her.
2: All right, so I, I, I want to go back to something I think Kyle said, because I, I am not your girl when it comes to, you know, the, the details of the artillery in, in Aliens. It's all just guns to me. But, but you mentioned an uh, auto fire. Is that like, the, I, I never like caught that, that these guns auto fire for movement. Uh,
1: yeah, and you know, I didn't catch that until I played the Aliens Colonial Marines game uh, that uh-huh. came out a couple years ago. Um, and there is a sequence where you're given one of these smart guns And you're walking down a hallway, and the gun targets, which it's funny because they put these guns on uh, Vasquez, and I can never get the name right of the other guy who's got it. Um, Drake. Thank you, Drake, yeah, Uh, who... Are, look like the two most badass marines in the entire group yet their guns do all the shooting for them they basically just have to hold it steady the whole yeah. time but um yeah they're on that steady cam rig and they're supposed to have an auto targeting thing that's why they kind of have the little uh eyepiece that comes down so all an alien's got to do is walk out in front of them and it fires so newt is very lucky that she wasn't blown apart because this gun would have had an auto tracking and shot her already so hicks was kind of a uh, He's really fast on his take to kind of, like, take Drake's uh, gun and push it off.
0: That seems like a horrible idea, though. Like, if you're walking into a civilian uh, structure here, you're looking for survivors. Right. Like, isn't it highly likely a survivor is going to come out of the woodwork? I mean, that's what you're looking for. So, I don't know. That seems really strange. That doesn't Ah. seem – especially to be the person on point. Maybe there's a setting because I I also feel like Drake – very specifically reacts to Hicks stopping him. Like he's offended by it for a moment when Hicks stops him from shooting her. So I don't know. I kind of wonder if that's a, just a setting maybe on the gun.
1: Possibly, but I, I think, uh, like, like you're saying, you know, Marines going in here to rescue people with guns reminds me a lot of the response to Hurricane Katrina when uh, there's footage of General Honore going around telling the, uh, you know, people who are supposed to be rescuing people to put their rifles away because they're, you know, have all these refugees and they're walking around with like drawn machine guns and stuff. So maybe that's James yeah. Cameron's kind of commentary on the military reaction to what happened on LV 426.
2: Yeah, th- th- that's just fascinating for me to hear because it like changes my entire reading of Hicks in in, in this minute, because like I, without the knowledge that it was an auto fire gun, it, it looks like Hicks is just like kind of panicking and shooting wildly when in fact he is reacting correctly and, and moving his gun away mm-hmm. from the target. Um, so yeah, that, that just kind of, you know, like I said, shattered my whole perception of Hicks in this scene. <laughs>
0: Right. I, you know, for a long time, I was under the impression that they both fired. Yeah. Um, And it's still kind of hard to tell that Hicks doesn't fire. But I thought for some reason it was just that they both fired and Hicks was the first one to realize that he needed to stop. But it's even in the script very uh, specifically that Hicks pushes the gun out of the way and stops him, which is so in character. Mm -hmm. Because Hicks so far is really the only fully human Marine. Like, we just get these big, broad caricatures. Um, We get tons of hubris and braggadocio coming from them, except for Hicks. And he's the one that, as soon as he woke up, he made eye contact with Ripley. He connected with her right away. He's always seems to be more okay with her than everybody else. He's kind of quiet and, and attentive. And so far has only shown himself to be entirely competent. Obviously, he's the coolest guy in the room. He sleeps during the drop ship sequence. So this is so keeping in character and I'm really it, it's an impressive you know I was actually impressed that it was in the script because I was just, my suspicion was watching the movie that it was a, Michael Bean was sort of bringing some of this I I, I liked I unfortunately Sometimes we'll take some credit away from James Cameron. It's just kind of an automatic reaction for me, I guess. Just considering the last, you know, twenty years of his career, or so uh, that I'm not that big a fan of. Sometimes I'll forget that he was really, really his filmmaking chops and his screenwriting chops were even really strong during this era. He was doing a really good job being very consistent with Hicks. It would have been interesting to see if it would have worked with James Remar as opposed to Michael Bean, because Michael Bean has that kind of calm, cool thing about him already, and James Remar usually plays some kind of a hothead. So uh, it, would have been, it would have been an interesting casting choice had they stuck with Remar. But I think that there's a lot to be said about what we get from Hicks. Like you said, Genevieve, it, it, it completely changes your idea of him. If you think he shot to realize that he was actually kind of saved uh, Newt's life here. So,
2: but I. For, for all that he is, you know, kind of the the most human of the Marines. I mean, he's still a Marine, and I think you you kind of see that separation um, in like later in this minute when they see Newt kind of hiding in the you know in the corner there and he's just grabbing at her you know <laughs> like you see yeah. smiling and grabbing at her while ripley is like Shh, it's okay like she's soothing and just like the contrast between their two approaches to this this new element it, uh, just i think really uh, underlines the distinction between the marine's approach of just like kind of you know, this like brutish, inelegant approach of just barreling ahead, relying on force and fortitude rather than sort of the the thoughtfulness and self-preservation that I think we see coming from Ripley.
0: For sure. I I will say, if we want to jump ahead a little bit, even, I guess we already have, I wanted to talk about the composition of this shot. Once once we get Newt in underneath the grating there and we have Hicks reaching in for her, we have this this four shot, right? Uh, this kind of wide. It's not really wide shot. It's almost seems like a newt POV shot, where we have Hicks in the foreground on the left, reaching for Newt. We have Ripley more center frame, and we have Bishop on the right. And I kind of saw it as okay. Uh, it, well, then we have Gorman behind Newt or behind Ripley and Hicks, and he's actually barking an order to Hicks to just get her. Yeah. So in Hicks's Hicks is somewhere in the middle, right? I, I, I link him a lot with Ripley as like a human character more so than the other Marines. But he's also a Marine, like you said, who has to obey orders. So we got the completely inhuman Gorman in the background just say, ah, I'll just grab her. We've got Ripley looking on with concern. We've got Bishop kind of acting as a tool <laughs> in an interesting way because he's, I mean, he's, he's an like android a mechanical man. Mind, yeah. And he's just. Like, <laughs> He's really completely inhuman. He's doing a job. He's holding the light for them, you know, so it's like totally keeping in character. I think it's interesting because you do get all that character for all four characters in that one shot. And Gorman's barking of, you know, just grab our corporal just cuts right through the humanity that might be there. With Ripley and and Hicks.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, too, that um, uh, Hicks, their first, uh, you know, reasoning is that he calls Ripley over to deal with the situation, you know, whenever they first find out, oh, it's a little girl. It's like Ripley, you know, I wonder if that's an artifact left over from the, you know, uh, the director's cut where Ripley had a daughter, Amanda, who passed away uh, that. They might say, okay, well, you're the one with experience with, you know, children or dealing with other human beings. <laughs> you know, you come over yeah. here and take the lead on this. Yeah.
0: Well, there's also the, you could look at it both ways. And there's going to be a couple of times where we can bring up Amy Ripley and uh, in these next five minutes and talk about the, how you could read things one way in the director's cut in another way in the theatrical cut. Well, how, the way I read it here in the theatrical cut without the Amy Ripley knowledge is that he's deferring to her knowledge of the alien. Like, Maybe Hicks kind of noticed nobody else seemed to notice it was a girl. I mean, I don't think drink would be mad at him for stopping him from shooting a little girl. I mean, clearly they <laughs> thought it was he still thought it was something to uh, still thought it might be an alien since they don't really know what they look like still. Right. So because there's already a small connection between Hicks and Ripley. He's the only one that seems to defer to her expertise. So I think I read it that way. Now, if you are watching the director's cut, you could read it the way you just said. And I think that's very cool the it's funny how each version of it has its own benefits and its own uh, way of telling a story that doesn't really detract from the other one. Like each one can function completely on its own with different subtext. Yeah. And that, like I said, we'll talk about that more this week.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think like another moment in this minute where you can definitely read it either way, whether or not you have that Amanda knowledge is kind of after the shot you're talking about, where you can see all four characters, the, the zero in on just Ripley and kind of that moment where Ripley and Newt see each other for the first time and this connection between them being established for the first time. And it's like, that in that moment on Ripley's face, you know, the look on her face, you can either read as a maternal recognition or the recognition of a fellow survivor, you know, in, in either way is powerful. Um, in, 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 in either way, she recognizes a piece of herself in Newt in a way that none of the Marines can much less do.
0: That's a good point because I was going to say the other way to look at it is there's just that, you know, you could say maternal instinct in Ripley. You don't need to know she was a mother to know, you know, that that could be there. That could have been something that James Cameron was mindful of, whether that's appropriate for the character or not. I don't know, but it's certainly something he was thinking about. Motherhood, maternal uh, themes are definitely prevalent in this film. So you could just see her as uh, her instinct kicked in and she's making connection, but I like your reading better. I would rather it be that, that survival instinct idea or that survival empathy that she has she's like i i understand what you've been through as a matter of fact clearly you've been through more than even i was i was able to deal with my situation and get out of it in a matter of a couple hours you're clearly been going through this for a long time so when they make that nice cut uh, as far as the editing's concerned you get that cut from that for sh- from that four shot to down to that close-up of ripley and then back and cross-cutting between her and newt it really brings that humanity home especially in the fact that ripley doesn't you know, stoop to telling Gorman to shut up or anything like that. She just ignores it. His, his Marine order barking inhuman uh, mentality towards the situation. She's just in this human moment. She connects with someone else. And I like the idea that you have Genevieve, that it's more of a survival uh, camaraderie that they have between them.
1: Yeah. It's very astute. I've never read that, you know, in my hundreds and hundreds of viewings of this film, that they are both the only two that have survived uh, alien encounters. Uh, I've always read it as more of kind of like they're both civilians, they're not military, uh, so they have their kind of humanity in that aspect. But, uh, yeah, that's – going forward, I don't think I can shake that from a viewing of this film. They're both survivors. Well, them and Jones, I guess, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Jones. But Jones is just back on Gateway Station doing whatever – somebody's watching – Who's, who's got Jones? Every time Jones gets brought up, I'm like, what is Jones doing right now? <laughs> like, who has Jones right now? I'm, I'm concerned. Did she find a good home? I'm sure. I'm sure she did. But, all right. Does anybody have anything else for this minute?
1: Um, one thing I wanted to touch on real quick, and this kind of leads into the previous minute, but, you know, in watching this, I kind of watched the minutes around it to, to uh, you know, kind of familiarize myself with it again. But um, the camera work uh, in this movie is usually you know, kind of on a tripod, you know, or static camera, not really moving around a lot, um, unless they are in these close corridors kind of moving around. And in this one, it starts off with kind of a shoulder mount camera, you know, or steady cam that kind of has a little bit of shaky to it. You know, it's not it's not overly shaky, you know, like a French new wave film or anything like that, but it's definitely, as you hear the pulse of the motion tracker going along, there is this kind of like loose camera that's following them, not on a track. And I think it really adds to the tension of the scene before we see newt, you know, we've got this kind of, you know, shaky cam going around, adding to the nervousness that the Marines might be having. And I think the, um, you know, switching up of the cinematography styles in this film uh, is, um, is genius. So,
0: Yeah, I think that'll actually play in even more in the next minute. I had some notes about that for tomorrow. So, uh, good call for sure. Genevieve, you have anything else for this minute?
2: Uh, Nope. Just to say that I also have notes about that for the next minute. So, (laughs) stay tuned (laughs) for that.
0: Well, it sounds like we should move on to the next minute then, all right? Um, Genevieve, you want to tell the good people out there where they can find you on the internet?
2: Sure. Um, I am the deputy culture editor at Vox.com, so I'm mostly behind the scenes there, but occasionally I will write about movies and other things, and you can also find me on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky.
0: And Kyle, why don't you uh, let the people know where you're at?
1: Yeah, uh, if you enjoy Movies by Minute podcast, uh, my brother Brady and I have done uh, three. We did Goonies Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and Ghostbusters Minute. And like John mentioned earlier, he was on an episode of Ghostbusters Minute with us, and it was one of our strongest ones, actually. So uh, check those out. You can get them whenever, wherever podcasts are found. And on Twitter, uh, I am at Kyle Crane, where you can find me complaining about uh, Disney theme parks. So...
0: All right. You can find us at AlienMinute.com, on Twitter at AlienMinutePod, on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. Uh, you can also come over to our Tee Public page, buy some t-shirts. we got some cool colonial marine designs. I use uh, uh, quotes around that because I didn't really design them. I just kind of stole them off of their armor. But anyway, those just little nice graffiti t-shirts that you can get before they get pulled down by the copyright lawyers at 20th Century Fox. <laughs> Um, Also, always on Monday, we like to thank Pete and Alex over at the Star Wars Minute podcast for uh, letting us use this format. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, If you've never listened to Star Wars Minute, you should go over there and listen to them. They have, what, like 500 episodes to listen to by now, probably? So go over and check them out. They're great. Um, All right. Well, that's going to do it for Minute 46. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute number 47.